We're starting this new series, RSVP, Thou Shalt Party. And some of you know that because of this accent um, or speech impediment, however <laughs> you describe it, I have a bit of a problem with the party word, party, party, party. You have to open your whole mouth to say that. When I say it, it sounds like party. <laughs> I'm not telling 1,200 people to party. That would be disastrous. So what's this series about? Well, in the Old Testament, God uh, established a number of feasts and festivals, parties, if you will. And we're going to look at those over the next few weeks. Now, what are we up to? Are we trying to put the clock back and go back to Old Testament ways? No, we're not doing that. But the Bible makes it clear that those feasts and festivals are shadows of what's to come. And when you see the shadow of someone appearing, you know that something else, somebody else is coming. Look at what Colossians chapter 2 says. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. You see, the, the early church that was mainly Jewish for quite a while <clears throat> struggled. Like, now we're followers of Jesus. Should we still go to these feasts and festivals? And uh, actually... Paul doesn't dismiss the value of them in, in the book of Romans. Basically, he says, you can go if you like, and if you don't, you don't need to. But he also affirms that they are shadows, that there are truths buried in those events that we can learn a lot from. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but in the Christian calendar, today is Pentecost Sunday, and that correlates completely with the festival, the Old Testament festival that we're going to look at this weekend, which is called the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot, Shavuot. Now, um, I need to just have us do a little bit of work here, a bit of explanation. Just turn to the person next to you and say, get ready to work. Just give them a nudge. Get ready to work. Just get ready. Okay. Thanks for, for doing that. Some of you actually hit each other when I ask you to do that. So a little bit of work. The Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, that's what the, the Jewish, uh, the Hebrew-speaking, the Aramaic-speaking Jews called it, Shavuot, Feast of Weeks. That same festival, the Greek-speaking Jews called it Pentecost. Why Pentecost? Pente means five. This was 50 days after Passover. So the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, and Pentecost are all the same thing. When the early church gathered together and the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2, Jerusalem was crowded that day. It was Pentecost. It was Shavuot day. And then because of that special occurrence that happened from then on, the church has called that day the day of Pentecost. So you've got Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, Pentecost, those are how they correlate together. Did you get that? Just nod at me, even if you didn't. It just helps me out. So that's how all of this works. Let's have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 16, which talks about the Old Testament feast, and then the book of Acts, which describes what happened on that day. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle in the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling 
for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows living among you, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. And then in Acts chapter 2, we read this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I've been to some pretty bad parties in my time. Before I became a Christian at the age of 17, uh, most of my Saturday evenings as a teenager uh, were spent at parties, and I'm really not quite sure why, but I was the first person to be drunk at every party. Actually, I know why. I used to fill a glass up with liquor, so that's why. What I'm not sure about is why I actually did that. It was a pretty stupid and highly dangerous thing to do. I've been to some bad parties, and I became a Christian at the age of um, 17, and things changed radically. I've also been to some embarrassing parties. Um, my most embarrassing party, it was a dinner party, actually, uh, that some folks that I didn't know very well invited me to. Kay, my wife, was in the hospital having given birth to our first child. And back then, in the middle 18th century, there, uh, you, when you had a baby, you hung around in hospital for, for quite a while. And uh, so she's in the hospital, and I'm home alone, starving to death. And so these folks that um, vaguely we knew from a Baptist church across the city, I'm a young church planting pastor, and they heard I was home alone, so they invited me for dinner. So I, I show up, and we're going to have a nice time, and we start, it's just me and them, and we're having this little dinner party. And they said, Jeff, when you were in Bible school, did you preach in any churches? And I said, yeah, I, I did. They said, well, tell us about that. And I started to talk about the one church that I was assigned to. And then suddenly I started to make a negative comment. Do you, do you ever do that? Everything's going really well. And then suddenly, bleh, 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 bleh. I mean, they wouldn't know. They were from a different denomination, from a different part of the country. They wouldn't know anybody in that church, now would they? Hello. So anyway, I, they, they said, well, I said they were very nice. I said, but there was this one deacon in the church. And he used to stand up and give the announcements every week. And he was so numbingly boring. People would be healed of insomnia during the announcements. It was, it was a nightmare. And she, the lady, she put her knife down, for which I was later grateful. And she said, what did he look like? Now, that should have been a clue, shouldn't it? But no, not with me. No, and I described him, and she said, oh. And then she said, was his name, and she said his name, which is in my mind, but I'm not saying it here. You might have a cousin in England, mind you. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said his name, and I, I, she said, oh. I said, do you know him? She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my dad. <laughs> I am like, Beam me up, Jesus. 
And they were really kind, you know, they tried to help me out. They said, yeah, daddy is a bit boring, you know, when he was born, the midwife fell asleep. You know, they really... But it was an embarrassing party. In the Old Testament, Israel had some wonderful parties. They're described as sacred assemblies in Leviticus 23. Passover, tabernacles, first fruits, weeks, trumpets, Sabbath. There was a real sense of joy in these events. More about that in a moment. There was a sense of covenant evaluation. How are we doing with our side of the bargain with God? They examined where they were. And they were very creative gatherings as well. Some of you will know that we've had Searchlight Theatre Company here. And when I'm back in the UK, we often travel around the nation presenting shows. And I went to one place and this rather grumpy gentleman came up to me and he said, where do you find all this creativity in the Bible then? So I said, well, without sounding like Julie Andrews, let's start at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created. Right there, the creator God is revealed. And these festivals were festivals of creativity. The Passover feast, you didn't just sit down and eat it. You had to have your cloak tucked into your belt, a staff in your hand, sandals on your feet. You had to dress up in the costume in order to feel the experience. And then tabernacles. You didn't just hear about being out in a tent. You had to live in a tent for seven days because the creative God wanted you to feel and experience what was going on. God's festivals were colorful and creative. Why? Because his people kept forgetting. They kept forgetting who he was, what he was like, and therefore they forgot who they were and what they should be like. If I may put it like this, and I use the word carefully, they had spiritual dementia. And I use the word carefully with some sensitivity. Some of you will know that my mom spent nine years in the clouds of dementia. And I mention this not to be self-indulgent, but to also ask for prayer for those who battle dementia and for those who love them. I remember a few days before she passed, I went to the residential care home where she was, and I decided to sit through the night with her. And it was a long night, and it was awkward, and it was uncomfortable. And at about 3 a.m., she woke up and She's battling the final stages of dementia. So imagine this. She wakes up at 3 a.m. and there's some strange guy sitting at her bedside. And she said, get out! Get out! She panicked. And I said, Mom, it's, it's, it's Jeffrey. <laughs> Only my mom called me Jeffrey and my wife when I've been bad. I said, Mom, it's, it's Jeffrey. She said, I know, and you're no good. Get out. And she was scared of me because she didn't understand that it was me and who I am. And sometimes we do that with God. Get out of here. And he wants to draw close. And we back away because we forget. Israel kept forgetting 
Deuteronomy 8 and verse 11. Be careful, God says, that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and decrees that I am giving you this day. And then verse 14 of that chapter. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. They kept forgetting, so God gave them parties. And one of those parties was Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. It's mentioned five times in the first five books of the Bible. It's a harvest feast. There were two harvests in Israel every year. This was the first harvest celebration. They would read the book of Ruth. They would eat dairy products like milk and cheese, especially cheesecake. More about that later. They would decorate their homes and synagogues with greenery. It was a celebration of harvest. It was also a celebration to commemorate the giving of the Torah, the law. And so that's what this party was about. What can we learn from it? Well, first of all, we learn, if you're following in the, in the program, we learn that God is a party planner. We're called to party, to celebrate. Look at this verse from Deuteronomy 14. God says, use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. God was saying, thou shalt party. I wonder whether that matches the vision that some of us have of God. Some of us have been raised to know, to know a God who doesn't smile much. He's kind of permanently irritated. His finger is always trembling over the smite button. Some of us were raised with the idea that we weren't supposed to laugh in church because it's irreverent. And when we relax, we feel guilty. And we have this internal turmoil that fun is somehow, even good clean fun is completely inappropriate. That's not the picture of our God. Graham Tomlin, a bishop, he said, the images Jesus used to describe the kingdom were always full of delights, like a feast with lavish food and great hilarity, or a woman finding a priceless lost necklace and throwing a party to celebrate. The picture of a bunch of outlaws celebrating with huge joyful meals deep in the forest in defiance of the false powers is the same kind of story. This is no stern Solemn king exercising a humorless cold rule. It is the rule of the gracious host inviting us into his home, a place where he is in charge and where there is lots of deep, rich laughter. Miserable, gloomy, and dull churches have simply missed the point. And when I became a Christian, I didn't know that. In our church, we used to go forward after every message to respond. And I went forward every week. Didn't matter what the message was. They might have been giving a an invitation for someone to lead the local women's aglow group. I'd be there at the front. Remember one day I went and knelt at the front and I said, God, I must have sinned. I've been happy this week. And one of the reasons I love to laugh and I love to see God's people laugh is I'm catching up. Dave Gilpin, a friend of mine, says, when we walk into a cathedral, we should not be hushed. We should laugh out loud because the news is good. And what we think about God affects the way we live. A.W. Tozer said, when, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How do we view God? Some years ago, Ken and I were invited to a birthday party in England, and it was 350 miles from our home. 
so it would be the expense of a hotel. Not only that, 700 mile round trip with gasoline at $9 a gallon. Next time you go to the gas station, people, kiss the ground. <laughs> Say, God bless America. So we drive the 350 miles. It's an ex- with traffic jams. It's exhausting. We check into the hotel. We go to the restaurant. Nobody that we know is there. I go up to the maitre d'. I said, where's the whatever it was party? He said, oh, that already happened. That's finished. I, I said, did they start early? He said, no, it was last Saturday. <laughs> they had changed the date of the party and didn't tell us. And I'm, I'm over that. <laughs> sort of. But some of us are missing the party because we got the wrong information about him. And one of the greatest things we could do is say, God, reveal your heart to me as it is and not as I anticipate it to be. He's a party planner. Secondly, he's a gatherer. We're called together. We're called together. Look at what happens here, Acts 2. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Please see this. God didn't just say to individual Jews, celebrate this truth, even in your own homes, although that was part of it. They had these disruptive pilgrimage gatherings where they had to be together to celebrate. Gathering was part of it. And on the day of Pentecost, people from all over the place are now suddenly gathered. Sometimes living in Colorado, I bump into people where they say, ah, I don't need the church. The mountains are my church. It's the classic individualistic obsession. We need each other. And we don't have to agree on our politics or our food preferences or our hobbies or opinions. And it may be that we would not be together for any other reason but that we have met beneath the shadow of the cross. What's our relationship to church? Is it like casual filling station? Yeah, I'll go for a top up. Or is it commitment to authentic community? Thirdly, God is our provider. He's our provider. He is our source. Look at Deuteronomy 16. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. When Jewish farmers went to the temple in Jerusalem for this festival, before giving their offering, they would make a really strange statement. They would say, my father was a wandering Aramean. That's a weird thing to say. But what they were doing is they were saying, if it wasn't for God, I and my people would still be wandering in the desert. God is my source. I have been trying to rebalance my approach to God being my source. If you've heard me at all, You know that some of that stuff on Christian TV with the grinning evangelist who tells you to call the hotline and give him some money and all of that tosh, it's just craziness, ridiculous. 
And I have done a pendulum swing away from that. I still believe that that is foolishness. But sometimes in reacting, we can forget that ultimately God is our provider. Let me tell you a story which I find personally offensive. And yet it's a story of how God provided. Years ago when we were living in England, our family was growing. We had a small house and we felt the need to sell our house and buy a larger house for our family, and also in our church, we had uh, there was a kind of pattern of single people living with families to create greater community, and we wanted to do that too, and we did. And um, we had our house on the market for a year, and nobody came by, and it was a nice house. No one came by. Uh, one day, our son Richard was uh, playing with a friend from school in the north of the city, and we went to collect him. Uh, we went to pick him up. <laughs> Saw the spirit of confusion come across. And uh, we, we just went and parked outside this house, beautiful long driveway with trees, just waiting for Richard to come out and jump in the car. And I turned the car engine off, and then suddenly, all the birds in the trees, right where we were parked, they all started singing. I mean, not the Hallelujah Chorus or anything, but they all started singing really, really loud. And I said to Kay, listen to those birds, honey. And she said, yeah, that's, that's their job description. That's what they do. They sing. I said, no, there's something about that. Anyway, Richard came out, jumped in the car. We drove off. A couple of weeks later, a preacher from Texas came to our church. And we're meeting with him as a leadership team, about 20 of us. I'd never met him before. And we're sitting there, and he... He looked at me and Kay, and he picked on us. And he said, you, you, what's your names? I said, Jeff and, and Kay. He said, can I pray with you guys about anything? I said, yeah. We're trying to sell a house and, and buy a house. He said, well, let me pray about that with you. And he started to pray. And then he stopped praying, and he said, God is giving me a picture, showing me a picture of a house. And he said, hold on a minute. He said, I hear birds singing in the trees. God says, go get that house. And at first I thought, I can hear a few birds singing in the trees as well. And they're all going, cuckoo. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Drive over to the house, kick the door in and say, get your furniture out. I've heard the birdies. A few days later, the lady who owned the house called my wife. She said, can our kids get together urgently for another get together to play. My wife said, sure, what's going on? She said, my husband got an unexpected promotion. We're moving out of town. Very quickly, without pausing for breath, my wife said, are you selling your house? She said, yes. My wife said, is it listed yet? She said, not yet. My wife said, can we come over right now? The lady said, yes, we jump in the car. We put a flashing blue light on top of the car. No, we didn't do that. We drive over. We look around the ground floor of the two-story house. I looked at my wife, she nodded. I said to the couple, I said, uh, we wanna buy your house. They said, you haven't even been upstairs yet. I said, I don't care. I've heard the birds singing in the trees. <laughs> they said, that is absolutely fine, but you have to sell your house by Friday at five. Otherwise, we'll need to list with a realtor. We've been on the market for a year. No one came by. Now we've got five, four days. We come outside the house. My wife turns to me, she said, we're going to sell our house by Friday at five. I said, oh, look, 
there's a pig coming into land. Wednesday, we get a call from the realtor. He brings this guy around. First time in a year. We show him around. He doesn't look that impressed. He goes away. Thursday, the realtor calls back. He wants to view the house again. Now I'm ready for him. I am prayed up and ready. I am like, and this is the bathroom in Jesus' name. (laughs) He goes away, says nothing. Friday, 4 p.m., one hour to go. The realtor calls. She says, "You you just sold your house. With 55 minutes to go, I called the lady with the birds in the trees and said, I want to buy your house. And we did. I want to make an announcement. This Christianity is not just theory or ideology. Jesus is alive and he does stuff. Now, hold on a minute because I'm offended. I'm offended not at you, but at me. I'm offended at my own story. Because what's that about? I know that there are people in this congregation, you're thinking right now, why is God messing around with birds in the trees and my husband died of cancer? I acknowledge pastorally that tension because not only does unanswered prayer create questions, but answered prayer does too. Why did God answer this one and not that one? I get it. Nevertheless, it's true. God is our source. Years ago, here at Timberline, maybe 20 years ago, a man came to me. His business was struggling. I said, why don't you pray about it? He said, can I pray about my own stuff? I said, sure you can. God is our source. Number four, God is our king. Jesus is Lord. God is our king. Jesus is Lord. God said to them, remember that you were slaves in Egypt That's where you've come from, and follow carefully these decrees. The festival celebrates the giving of the law. Sometimes Jews will stay up all night to read the Torah before this festival begins. Why do they have cheesecake? It's because in Jewish and Old Testament thinking, the Word of God is treated like milk, an idea that comes over into the New Testament. Here's a question. We Christians believe that the Bible is God's word to humanity. The thing is this, I mean, do we read it? Do we apply it? And and I'm challenging myself about this. I read the Bible every day because I have to. (laughs) I'm just going to be really honest. I write daily Bible reading notes. I have to write them eight months in advance. And I have to study every day. And I preach a lot, You, you know, Four times this weekend, I've said to my wife, I preach so much, I I get sick of the sound of my own voice. When I said that, she smiled knowingly and said, I understand completely. (laughs) But I can slip into the danger of Scripture reading for, for study and preaching and writing, but not for application and personal nourishment. Our Jewish friends celebrated the giving of the law. Let's not just read the word, but obey it, Jesus as Lord. But the last thing is this. The last thing is that God is our helper. Be filled daily with the Holy Spirit. Be filled daily with the Holy Spirit. All of them were filled with the Spirit, we read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. 
And on this date, they spoke in other tongues. Speaking in tongues can be uh, a gift that is utilized in prayer, a prayer language. Um, um, and sometimes it can be a literal language, earthly language. Uh, a friend of mine, Pat Cook, Pat Cook was a faithful missionary in Afghanistan. She was raped on the mission field. She was stoned by some angry tribesmen. Uh, she was in Kabul airport, and a guy was sitting next to her. A terrorist walked up and just shot him dead right next to her. She has seen some terrible things. She is a seasoned missionary. And sometimes when she prays, she speaks in tongues. And she was on an airplane and some turbulence hit and she cried out. And when she cried out, she spoke in tongues on the plane. And the guy next to her nudged her. He said, excuse me, ma'am, can I ask you, where did you learn not only my language, but the dialect of my village? She said, I was just yelling. He said, you just spoke to me in my dialect. She said, what did I say? He said, you just told me that Jesus Christ is Lord of all the earth. The Holy Spirit. Happened again this week. We have a noon prayer time here at Timberline. You can join it by Facebook if you can't get here. Just a brief time of prayer. I went to the noon prayer time this week. To be honest, I didn't want to. I was busy. And the subject was silence, and I'm not good with that. You probably guessed that. And I'm sitting there trying to be silent. And I'm not one of those Christians who hears God 20 times a day. You ever meet Christians like that? God is very chatty with them. And I don't know whether to be intimidated by them or nervous for them. But I'm just sitting there trying to gather my thoughts, and I felt like God whispered, to me, like, the only way I can describe it is I felt hugged. And then I felt like God said to me, I've got something for you. And I'm like, okay. So I sit there, nothing. I sit there, no, I mean, I sat there for a really long time, at least 90 seconds. And then I thought, well, I don't know. Well, that was about, and I got up, and this is over there, and I, I went to come to the door. And a lady that I've never seen before, I don't know her name, walked straight up to me. She may be in this gathering here. Quite nervously, she walked up to me, and she said, without any preface or qualifying statement, she said, when I got up this morning, God spoke to me about you. And this is what he said. And she delivered two sentences of the most beautiful, prophetic encouragement that left me standing there. God, she didn't know. I didn't get to tell her because she just said, wow, that was scary, and walked off. <laughs> and God had said to me, I've got something for you. And then three minutes later, she walks up. The Holy Spirit. And the tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost, did you notice? It says that the, 
the tongue of fire sat on each of them. That's interesting. Because you see, in the Old Testament, the fire hovered over the tabernacle at night. The fire, the presence of God, was over that which represented the tabernacle or temple. So now on the day of Pentecost, God is saying, hey, you and you, Peter and James and John, you're my temple now, you're my temple now, you're my temple now. And the Apostle Paul picks up that theme in 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, dwelling places of God? In John 14, Jesus said this of him and the Father. He said, we will come and make our home with you. Before I started this message, I made an announcement. Lives are going to change. Here's why. All that God has ever really wanted is to make his home with human beings. Not to have a 9-1-1 relationship. Hey, God, you up there, out there, help me out. Thanks so much. Later. But God making his home in our lives, empowering us, filling us, strengthening us, walking with us, making his home. So we're going to pray. As followers of Jesus, we're going to pray that this week we will experience ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. But I also want you to know that in the next couple of minutes, there's going to be an opportunity for you, if you're not a follower of Christ, to not just get a little dab of religion, but rather say to him, Jesus, come make your home with me. And that step is life and eternity altering. And some of us are right, right on the brink of that. And I need to say this. And your mind right now is racing and you're thinking about other things you need to do. And let's just get out of here. Let's just get to the restaurant. Let's... Lord, let your peace and your calm bring clarity in this moment. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we invite you, those of us who follow you, we invite you to fill us afresh with your spirit. We thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the joy that you want us to experience. Thank you that we can be part of your people gathered. Thank you that you are our source. For those of us that need your intervention, your provision, show yourself as source, we pray. Be our Lord as we study your word and apply it. Fill us, we pray. We pray now, Lord, for lives to be changed as a life-altering decision is made. Let's keep our heads bowed. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, maybe you've never made that step or maybe in the distant past you did, but you're a long way from that now. I'm going to pray a little prayer. 
Now I invite you to whisper this. This is a prayer to invite Jesus to make his home with you. Are you ready? Jesus, come and be at home with me. By faith now, I invite you to come into my life. Take charge. Forgive me, cleanse me. Thank you for your death on the cross, which not only shows your great love, but cleanses me from great sin. Thank you for your resurrection that speaks to me of life forever. I, at this moment, 12.58 a.m. Sunday. I say this to you, Jesus. Come and be at home with me. Let's just keep our heads bowed. If you just prayed that prayer, I want to ask you just to do something very simple. And I want to ask you not to hesitate because this is big. If you just did that, can I ask you just to slip up your hand and hold it there for one moment? Go ahead and do it. And people around the building are doing that. Hold it high, please. Hold it high. Because this is big. You can lower your hands. And so to each one, Lord, who is responding, do what we've asked. Make your home with them. Help us to help them, we pray. We give you thanks in Jesus' name and everyone said.